The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Jesus warned that the last days would be like the days of Noah. Of Noah's generation, the book of Genesis states, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Indeed, the Apostle Paul's description of human beings in the last days perfectly describes the degenerate character and perilous times of this, our generation. Yet at the same time, the Bible says one of the super mega signs of the last days will be feverish activity concerning the building of a third temple in Jerusalem. And it's unfolding before our eyes. Shalom, I'm Christine Darick. The Apostle Paul prophesied perilous times in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and devoid of natural affection. All around us, we are immersed in what the Bible calls the end time signs, the birth pains of the coming of Messiah. Governments and economies are being shaken. Lawlessness is truly shocking. And yet many people are still adamantly in denial that Jesus will return. We encountered a man in Jerusalem who wanted to dispute, saying that we can't possibly know if the second coming of Jesus is near because he said we've always had certain end time signs like wars and rumors of wars. But when I said the difference between our generation and previous generations is the presence once again of the Jewish people regathered in the Holy Land, he became stiff and belligerent. As an Episcopalian, he said he could not accept the Zionists, which reveals biblical illiteracy on his part. I tried to explain that Jesus himself said Jerusalem would be trampled by the Gentiles only until the times of the church age is finished, meaning that Jerusalem would once again be occupied by the ancient guardians of the land, the Jewish people. But the man blindly denied that God himself is a Zionist. Sadly, there has always been controversy on this issue within Christian circles. That battle seems to divide on whether a person accepts the prophecies of the Bible as literal or as allegorical, and mostly fulfilled in the past. I have to ask, with so many end-time signs staring us in the face, how much more stunning Bible prophecy fulfillments must happen before the allegorical view of prophecy is completely shattered? In Zechariah 8.3, God prophetically declared himself to be a Zionist. He said, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Isaiah 66 prophetically asks, Who has seen such things? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be delivered in an instant? 
Yet, as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Indeed, when the nation of Israel was reborn in a single day, May 14, 1948, it was evidence of God's fidelity to his own prophetic word. Meanwhile, news associated with preparations for a third temple continue to dominate prophetic headlines in Israel. The big news from the past few weeks is that five blemish-free young cows with red coloration were bred in Texas and were brought to Israel under a cooperative plan between Christians and Jews. It's yet another example of Christians working with Zionist Jews to help restore them to their land in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. These red heifers are being closely monitored to see if any of them will qualify in about a year's time for sacrifice and for purification ceremonies. So much is happening concerning the revival of temple worship in Jerusalem that one can hardly keep up with events unfolding at a rapid pace. It's always amazing on certain biblical feast days at the Western Wall to witness the biblical priestly blessing by the Kohanim, the Levitical priest in Judaism, also known in rabbinic literature as raising of the hands, the Birkat HaKohanim, the priestly blessing. In Israel, it takes place daily in every synagogue across the country. But twice a year, once during Passover and once during the Feast of Tabernacles, a mass priestly blessing is held at the Western Wall. This gathering of tens of thousands became tradition following its initiation by a rabbi during the War of Attrition. The rabbi was reminded of the impact and power the priestly blessing holds, even following the destruction of the temples. And so he decided to offer both Kohanim and others to partake in this meaningful experience in mass during a period that was a very difficult time for the state of Israel. The priestly blessing at the Western Wall is something very worth attending at least once in a lifetime. Provided you aren't afraid of very large crowds, you can join the tens of thousands of people who attend this event annually and receive the historic blessing, the raising of the hands from hundreds of Jews of priestly lineage as they face the congregation, hands stretched forward, chanting in one voice the text of the blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 to 27. Recently, during the annual Feast of Tabernacles, 600 Jewish men from the tribe of Levi held a rehearsal on the steps leading up to the Temple Mount. They were preparing the musical accompaniment for the services in a future third temple. So the temple choir is being restored along with everything else. Think about that. In the Bible, Moses and his brother Aaron were born into the tribe of Levi. The Kohanim, the priests, are descendants of Aaron. And Aaron's descendants became a subset of the tribe of Levi for various religious duties. The tribe of Levi were chosen by God to forfeit their portions of land in Israel in order to serve in the temple. The Levites performed various functions in the temple, including sacrifices, guarding, as well as serving all the musical aspects. Jewish communities are scrupulous about perpetuating the status of the Levites and its passed from father to son. 
Only Jewish men whose fathers were Levites are considered eligible to serve. Yitzhak Weiss, who arranged the recent temple worship music, told Israel 365 News that gathering together a group of Levites for such an undertaking was quite difficult since the Levites represent only about 4% of the Jewish population. The musical event was the first post-pandemic rehearsal for the Levites, bringing together about 600 men to practice a medley from the Halal service, which is composed of Psalms 113 to 118, psalms that are recited on major and minor Jewish festivals. Weiss noted that the third temple is all about unity and the ingathering of the exiles. So the temple music itself will be highly varied from the East and the West, incorporating all styles of Jewish congregations and traditions. Also, the instruments will be varied, including a brass section, wind instruments, stringed instruments, and percussions. In the days that the temple stood in Jerusalem, the Levites were positioned to sing on 15 steps corresponding to the 15 songs of ascent. The Mishnah states that there were never less than 12 Levites standing, but their number could be increased indefinitely. Young Levites were permitted to join in the singing when the adult Levites stood up to sing. All of this activity is being prepared around the sacred temple mount. Since Israel recaptured the old city of Jerusalem from Jordan in 1967, the Jewish state has maintained a fragile religious balance and the Temple Mount is indeed the most controversial real estate in the world. Jewish activists for decades have been leading efforts to change the status quo as a matter of religious freedom. Knowing the sacred history of the site, Jewish activists demand if Muslims can pray why not Jews? Well, in the apocalyptic chapter of Matthew 24, Jesus was speaking to his Jewish brethren and not to the yet-to-be-formed church. So don't forget, the church was non-existent at that point. Jesus said that in the last days, Israel must watch for an abomination that will take place in the holy place. He forewarned, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, he added. This warning of Jesus seems especially pertinent in our generation because plans for the third temple are being formed. A temple that Jesus prophesied will be desecrated before his return. While more than a quarter of the Bible is prophetic in nature, there are approximately 1,800 prophecies in both Testaments combined. God has recorded much of the future as a guide for us and for the Israeli nation as well. Jesus gave a major discourse on end-time events that's recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Jesus' disciples had asked him directly, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered with a catalog of tumultuous signs that would lead up to his second coming. He stated in Matthew 24, 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. 
So what would be the major sign of the final generation? Let the world take note. In Jesus' prophetic briefing, known as the Olivet Discourse, he said that Jerusalem will be once again in the hands of the Jewish people, and thus Jerusalem will be the central focus of upheavals. In Luke 21, 24, Jesus prophesied very significantly that Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles forever. No, he said, only until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled and they're being fulfilled in our generation. So the sign of all signs that has not been present in any other generation until now is the reemergence of the state of Israel in 1948 and the capture of Jerusalem by the Jews in 1967, causing the times of the Gentiles to wind up. The Bible said the Jews would return, and they did after nearly 1,900 years. Such a return to a homeland has never happened before in history. Furthermore, according to Bible prophecy, the Middle East will be in crisis in the last days. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 34, don't forget, the generation alive at that time will by no means pass away until all these things take place. One of the hottest end-time prophecies continues to be plans for the building of the third temple. This is a mega topic in New Testament Bible prophecy. The very real possibility of a third temple is a sign that no other generation has seen. All the implements of temple worship have already been created by industrious and devoted Jewish visionaries. Right now, we're living in the time period between the second temple that was destroyed in 70 AD and the third temple. Hardly a week goes by without some Temple Mount controversy for fear that the Jews will build their house of worship. The Hebrew prophets all proclaimed that in the last days, the exiles of Israel will return to the promised land and restoration of the temple will be their greatest ambition. Ezekiel chapter 37 predicted the dry bones of the nation of Israel coming to life again in their own land. Ezekiel 37, 28 predicted, Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. While Bible prophecy is unfolding before our eyes concerning that sanctuary, many blind skeptics in the church promote erroneous replacement theology and dare to believe the lie that God has somehow rejected the Jews and that Israel has reemerged as just a political anomaly. Yet all seekers of truth must ask, what does this Bible teach? We find from Scripture in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that God has never rejected His people, Israel, the Jews. Isaiah 41.9 declares, You, Israel, I called you from the ends of the earth. I said, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans around the theme of how God has not rejected his people Israel. So just as the prophets foretold, the Jewish people are returning to the Holy Land from the four corners of the earth after 19 centuries of global exile. We are eyewitnesses of the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 43, verses 5 to 6. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, 
do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. While all of this immigration activity called Aliyah in Hebrew is happening, preparations are well underway to build that third temple. It's been over a decade ago when temple activists first began holding Passover sacrifice reenactments. And actually, I can remember these rehearsals to hasten the rebuilding of the temple were dreamed about and talked about for decades. The notion of reviving temple sacrifices has been perceived in the past in Israel as extremism that could incite Muslim retaliation. And so civil authorities refused for a long time to grant permits to hold such ceremonies in Jerusalem. The police actively prohibited attempts to bring sheep into the old city for sacrifice. However, the mood is changing. The police and the Jerusalem municipality now reportedly view the rehearsals as another totally acceptable public happening, events they want to see take place. In fact, the recent Levitical choir rehearsal was co-sponsored by the Jerusalem municipality. An important detail that now the municipal government is in favor of helping to prepare for the third temple. Apparently, even mainstream media had begun to accept temple preparation activities, not as a fringe idea, but as an important aspect of Jewish culture. A temple spokesman reportedly said, It seems clear one day sooner than we imagine that the sacrifices will happen on the Temple Mount itself, and no one will think it's an extremist event. In truth, anyone who reads the Bible knows this is our ongoing history, he said. The famous medieval Jewish philosopher and Torah scholar known as the Rambam wrote that the temple has significance, first of all, to reveal to mankind the divine presence of God, and secondly, to facilitate the offering of sacrifices. However, since the destruction of the second temple, the Jewish people could no longer offer animal sacrifices. In fact, here's something to ponder. More than 200 of the 613 commandments in the Torah cannot be performed without the temple. At this point, as a watchman of the walls, it is vitally important to reiterate that the prophet Daniel, Jesus, and the apostle Paul all prophesied that the future sinister figure known as the anti-Messiah will defile the third temple before the return of Jesus. Both the prophet Daniel and Jesus referred to the temple's defilement as a horrendous, despicable act called the abomination of desolation. In Matthew 24, Jesus warned about the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, that he said, we'll stand in the holy place. And Jesus added, for the future generation that sees the defilement, let the reader understand. Well, there's a very important prophecy by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Paul wrote, he, the man of lawlessness, a.k.a. the Antichrist, will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Christian Bible prophecy scholars speculate that only a man of diplomatic skill accepted by Jews and Muslims will be able to broker a plan that will allow the Jewish people to worship in a temple on the mount where King David originally purchased territory. 
But many Christian eschatologists warn that Daniel 9.27 predicts that this dealmaker, better known as the Antichrist, will break his peace plan and turn on the Jewish people. Isaiah 28.18 prophesied that his covenant with death will be annulled. Hallelujah. Nevertheless, there are many Israeli organizations making preparations full speed ahead for a third temple without any apparent awareness of an antichrist awaiting in the wings. One of these organizations is the Temple Institute, which has a very active and fascinating Facebook page. Other organizations also have potentially viable plans. For example, one group proposes pitching a tabernacle, a tent structure on the Temple Mount, that would speed up the end-time scenario significantly, literally overnight. Pitching a tent is obviously much easier and less intrusive than building a temple complex. Think how quickly Bible prophecy could be fulfilled if a tabernacle stood in the holy place. Other proposals include constructing a synagogue in one of the corners of the Temple Mount platform. Meanwhile, several books have been written suggesting that the original site of the temple was in the city of David, near the Gihon Spring. If that were true, construction of a third temple in the city of David could conceivably begin without delay and would presumably avoid the territorial controversy surrounding the Temple Mount known to the Muslims as the Haram al-Sharif, the noble sanctuary. Well, regardless of its future location, the future temple's ritual garments and vessels have already been designed and created decades ago. The golden menorah, the temple's seven-branch candelabra, is on display in Jerusalem's old city's Jewish quarter. You can have your picture taken with it. Also ready are many Levitical musical instruments, silver trumpets and harps for worship, just as King David organized 3,000 years ago. The Temple Institute School is training certified DNA-tested priests to perform temple services, and many of these services are being rehearsed. That final element, a red heifer, is being bred to be sacrificed in a Torah-prescribed ritual purification ceremony. In fact, everything is ready for the go-ahead for a third temple. Since the liberation of the Temple Mount in 1967, Arabs have made great competitive efforts to claim the entire 37-acre Temple Mount platform. The Muslim narrative has definitely changed with the times. A pre-state visitor's guide to the area was published by Muslim authorities in 1925 and acknowledged that the territory was once the site of Solomon's Temple. The Islamic guidebook clearly stated that the site's identity with Solomon's Temple is, quote, beyond dispute. So in 1925, the Muslims affirmed the biblical history that they now are trying to erase. But the narrative changes with the times. Israel Today magazine reported that proponents of the Palestinian cause have tried to inflate the position of the Temple Mount in Islam to paint Israel's sovereignty as an affront to their religion. But with the Abraham Accords between Israel and Arab nations, many Muslims are getting comfortable with a Jewish temple idea. Even a couple of years ago, a renowned Egyptian scholar and novelist acknowledged in a series of TV interviews that Jerusalem holds no particular religious significance for Muslims. In fact, Jerusalem is not even mentioned in the Muslim's holy book. 
and a growing number of Saudis on social media have taken to using a hashtag that translates as the Saudi capital is more important than Jerusalem. Furthermore, lately, some Muslim leaders who are part of the Abraham Accords have admitted that the Temple Mount really belongs to the Jews and that Muslims should be concentrating on their own holy city of Mecca. Also recently, the JewishPress.com republished an article entitled A New Muslim Vision, Rebuilding Solomon's Temple Together, written by Sinan Tezyapar, a beautiful Turkish TV commentator and peace activist who has been in prison in Istanbul for her liberal views. Sinan's article underscored the importance of the Temple Mount to Judaism as well as Islam. She wrote that false accusations and suspicions have turned the site from a holy place of prayer to violent political demonstrations, resulting in more restrictions and discomfort for all. She wrote that freedom of worship is an essential issue, and since the Temple Mount is the location that God announced to be a house of prayer for all nations, it should be a gathering place for all believers. To prevent worship there to anybody goes against the God of the Bible, wrote this Muslim commentator. The Turkish woman also had the audacity to write that it's an atrocious thing to forbid anyone from praying at the Temple Mount. She noted that in Istanbul's Blue Mosque, in Istanbul's Hagia Sophia, and other houses of worship, foreign tourists often come to pray, something, she said, is quite beautiful to behold. I quote Sinem, As a devout Muslim, it would be a joy for me to see Prophet Solomon's temple rebuilt as well. The very thought of Christian Jews and Muslims cooperating to rebuild this house of worship together hand in hand and worshiping there is a matter to me of joy, she said. While it's pertinent to note that many visionary Israelis have the same hope that the third temple will be a center of prayer for all believers, not just for Jews. There are undeniable millennial prophecies found in Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7, where God says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. I want to emphasize that all the end time signs Jesus gave us are converging and warning us that he will soon return. It's my prayer today that without delay, everybody within the sound of my voice will make sure that you have received the Lord Jesus into your heart. My friend, may I ask, have you done that? Have you received the Lord as your Savior? If yes, I rejoice. If not, I urge you to delay no longer. Romans 1.4 is a true saying and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to share with me on social media. I also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our weekly email and where you can watch all our videos 24-7. Don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel app to view our video library. And please subscribe to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Darig. Maranatha. It's hard to believe for me that it's been over 40 years now that I've been at least a spiritual citizen of the nation of Israel.
ever since my first visit to the Holy Land. It's been an intriguing and totally inspiring place to get to know the Bible better. And what a privilege it is to share these insights with you through the media of Jerusalem Channel. We now have over 300 weekly broadcasts to view online free of charge. And just recently, one of our channel streams logged over 8 million views. But bringing these programs to a global audience does cost money. And during the summer months, giving sadly goes down. Just at a time when we need to meet some of our biggest expenses to pay for the streaming services. I want you to know that we really appreciate your help to make the Jerusalem Channel possible and to illuminate the Word of God in the context of the land and its people. You can give online at our website using credit or debit cards or write to us. In the USA, your tax-deductible gifts can be sent to Box 2768, Stanton, Virginia, 24402. And in the UK, our address is Box 109, Hereford, HR4, 9XR, England. God bless you.